Amen, amen. All right, first, not first Peter, Psalms. See, I just want to get right in first Peter. Listen, Psalms is a great book, and, and I really, I can't do it justice by going through all of it today, but, but what I do want to do is I want to um, really introduce the entire book of Psalms, Psalms by introducing the first chapter. There's only six verses, and we're going to go through all six verses today. And if you, on your own time, your devotional time, want to read through Psalms, it is a great book to read through, especially when you get to the, the 100s. You get to them 100s. That is, you get into some worship. You get into them 100s. That 119, it's long, though. It'd take you 10 years to get through it, but, but nevertheless, it is a, a good book. Uh, I'm simply going to introduce it today, introduce the book. And in many ways, Psalm 1, in the, in, when the canon was starting, first being put together, Psalm 1 actually wasn't Psalm 1. Psalm 1 was actually the introduction. Psalm 2 was the first psalm. And so Psalm 1 is, is that that's kind of it, it lays out the theme of Psalm, which you you probably won't pick up is really the theme. But let's see what we can do through it. All right. Pick me up in verse number one. Verse number one says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Verse three, he is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. You should underline this phrase in all that he does. He prospers. We'll talk about that. Verse four, the wicked are not so, but are like chaffed in the wind that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Simply want to preach from the topic that's really posed as a question. I want to preach from the topic, which path are you on? Which path are you on? Let us look to the Lord. Father, we are privileged this morning to be able to engage your word. We thank you for the, the ability to do this. We don't have to hide. We don't have to sneak to read your word, but we can openly read your word. And that is by the, the grace that you've given us. And we want to acknowledge that. Father, I, I do realize that your word, it really is a compass. I mean, your word tells us it's a light to our, our, our paths. And, and Father, I pray today that you would illuminate the paths of our life. Help us to realize that there's uh, two paths that is presented in the text this morning. And I pray that the question that is really the topic, the theme, I pray that you would help us to figure out this morning which path we're on. My guess is that all of us in here want to say we're on the right one. But, Father, as we work through the text, would you reveal to us which path we're on? And I, pro I pray that you would push us onto the right path. I also pray that Jesus would be glorified. Pray that as we read this Old Testament text, that we would get to see the nutrients of the gospel even applied in Psalms chapter 1. Thank you, Lord. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Father, I pray for physical strength today. I do pray for endurance. I pray for clarity. Pray for your Holy Spirit. That's what I'm praying for, that you would move upon this room. It's in Christ's name and Christ's name alone we do pray. Amen. Amen. Which path are you on? Having two boys at the age of 14 and 11 often require me to uh, sometimes watch their cartoons and their TV shows. And whenever I get up from there watching their cartoons and TV shows, I, I always have this uh, unsatisfied feeling. And that unsatisfied feeling usually is accompanied with thinking, man, the cartoons when I, were, when I was a kid was so much better. I was born in the 80s, born in the 80s and, 
And, and so the 80s and the 90s, the cartoons, I just thought were really good cartoons. We had cartoons like Chippendale, Rescue Rangers. Y'all remember that? We had cartoons like Tailspin and Darkwing Duck and Looney Tunes. I used to come home from school, make me a peanut butter jelly sandwich and just watch Looney Tunes all afternoon. We used to have, we used to have cartoons like Goof Troop. That was the 90s. But if you go back to the 80s, we had Mickey Mouse and Tom and Jerry. Yeah, Tom and Jerry, we had Roadrunner. I never understood, never understood why, how Wally Coyote would get all that Acme stuff. Like, did he steal it? Like, how did he, could he afford it? But we had great, great cartoons like Garfield and Scooby-Doo. And if you paid attention, <laughs> she felt her help on Garfield. <laughs> if you paid attention, if you paid attention to the cartoons in the 80s and the 90s, what you would have noticed is Many times the writers of the cartoons would want to depict the inner conflict of the character and how they would do that is they would show it by putting an angel on the right shoulder and putting a devil with a pitchfork on the left shoulder. And the angel on the right shoulder would say, this is what you should do, this is what you should do. And the devil with the pitchfork on the left shoulder would say, no, go the wrong way, do this, do the wrong thing. Well, in many ways, that is what we get in our, in our text this morning. We get two paths that are presented to us from the psalmist. One of the paths is the right way. One of the paths is the wrong way. This is how the text would define it. In fact, this, this, the subscription above my text literally says the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Please note before we even dig into verse one that there are only two paths that are presented in the text. There is not a third path. There is not a fourth path. You cannot be neutral. Let's do it this way. Everybody in this room is on one of those paths. There is nobody in this room. The text doesn't present a middle path. You're not in a middle place where you're like, I, I think I'm kind of there and I'm kind of there. No, you're on the right path or you're on the wrong path. And it would behoove us this morning as we work through all six verses, it would behoove us to ask ourselves the rhetorical question, which path am I on today? And so this is how we're going to do it. We're literally going to walk through this. Now, Psalms 1 is kind of known as a, as a wisdom psalm, a wisdom chapter. And many even commentators will suggest that this chapter would fit well in the book of Proverbs, which is a book on wisdom. And even though this, this chapter is a, is a wisdom chapter, it has no commands in it. No commands. It's not commanding you to do anything, but nevertheless, I think it still reads with force and it still has the ability to bring about an encouragement and it also has the ability to bring about conviction. Let's look at verse number one. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Let me go back to the beginning part of that. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. One of the first signs that we get presented to us from the psalmist that you are on the wrong path is when you are depending on advice from ungodly people. That's the first that's the first example that he gives us And the text seems to suggest that you cannot be fulfilled in Christ when you are when you are being advised from people who do not trust in Christ. You cannot be on the right path when you are constantly hearing and acting out the counsel of people that are on the wrong path. Now, here's the thing. We have a dilemma here, though. The reason we have a dilemma is because when you read this part of Psalm, this part that says don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, we can walk away and say, I'm not receiving counsel from anybody. 
But we have a problem here because Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22 says, without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, plans succeed. So which one is it? Should I receive counsel from friends or should I not? The text is not saying despise all counsel. The text is showing us despise counsel from ungodly people. It's telling us where we should get our information from. Our church here is what you would call an elder-led church. What does that mean? That we believe that there is a plurality of elders that speak into the direction of the church. What is good for the church is also good for you individually. You should not be a person that's always making all the decisions without asking anybody else for any type of counsel. But you should have at least one friend in your life, at least one that you can go to a godly person that will provide solid, wise, biblical counsel. You need that one friend that will tell you the truth no matter what, won't lie to you. If you don't look good that day, they will tell you you look a hot mess. If your breath stinks, they'll tell you your breath stinks and will walk away and not care that you're offended. You need that friend. And so I'm not saying despise all counsel, but the text does show us today. We have to be careful when we are, as the text says, walking in the counsel of the ungodly are walking in the counsel of the wicked. Then the text goes on to say, nor stands in the way of sinners. This word stands is an interesting one. It literally means to stand or to be firm. Problem is we're, so, we're standing in places that are outside. We're standing on the wrong path and we're okay. And what happens is after a while when you are receiving counsel from ungodly people, at some point you move from just receiving the counsel to actually standing in it, to doing exactly what they are telling you to do. So walking denotes conduct, but standing denotes character. And standing is usually the place where, where sinful habits start to form. Standing is usually the place where you start going down the wrong path. Even if you were on the right path, when you start drifting towards the wrong path, you can normally find it out in the place of standing. But the text goes on. So it says walking. Don't walk not in, do, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners. Then verse one ends and says, do not sit in the seat of scoffers. This is interesting because in the first part of the text, it introduced those that are on the wrong path as wicked and it introduced them as sinners. Those are synonymous. I understand that. But now it says, don't sit with scoffers. A scoffer is something completely different. And in many ways, I would say that a scoffer is worse than just being a sinner. The reason is, here's what a scoffer is. A scoffer is someone who jeers or mocks at something. So it's one thing to disobey God's word. It's another thing to disobey it and act as though it's unworthy of your obedience. That's what a scoffer is. A scoffer is someone who mocks at the things of God. And many of you in this room were scoffers before you trusted Jesus. Many of you in this room, you are walking through a Christian life now that you laughed at years ago. The Bible says, do not sit in the seat of scoffers. Let me put Bibles on, some Bible here where scoffers is. Proverbs chapter 21, 24 will say this. Scoffer is the name of an arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. And so the text tells us, don't sit with scoffers. Please note the progression in the text. It went from walking to standing, to sitting. And that is typical with the behavior of those that are on the wrong path. You know, sin is not just an instantaneous thing. Sin, sin usually happens in a progression. 
in a very progressive manner. It starts out with just the text and then it moves on to some kissy faces. Next thing you know, you're sending eggplant emojis. If you don't know what an eggplant emoji is, I'm very proud of you for not knowing. But that's, note the text, walking, standing, sitting. Sin is always a progression. Y'all come on back. Y'all come on back. Walking, standing, sitting. The question that you should be asking right now is where am I at in that progression? If I'm going down the wrong path, am I just receiving counsel from the ungodly or am I starting to walk in the ways of their counsel? Or have I gotten comfortable and just sat down and sin? When you sit down and sin, the text tells us we're on the wrong path. Now, verse number one describes to us the wrong path. Verse number two will counter the wrong path with the right path. Now, let me just be honest with you. I came from Chicago yesterday. We took a late flight in. And when I was on the flight, I opened up the Bible and I started reading Psalms 1. And I was baffled when I got to verse number 2. Watch why I was baffled. Here's what verse 2 says. Let me read 1 into 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The reason I was baffled when I got to verse two is because I would think that the psalmist would counter the argument, the list of negatives that he gave us. He gave us at least three negatives in verse one. I thought when I got to verse two, he was going to give us three negative or three positives to counter the list of negatives. But he does not give us three. I thought verse two would have read something like this. Blessed is the man who does walk in the counsel of the righteous or blessed is the man who does stand in the way of the godly or blessed is the man who does sit in the seat of the reverend. And instead of getting uh, giving us a list of positives, he characterizes. Don't miss this. The psalmist characterizes the right path by our relationship to the word of God. He does not counter it with a list of positives. He counters it by saying, are you in your word? Look at what the text says. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. You know you're on the right path when you are embracing the word of God. I don't know if this is true of you, but I can tell you for me, I know when I am drifting towards the wrong path, when I start to skip devotional days. I know when I'm drifting on the wrong path, when I stop reading my word, when I stop going to small group, when I don't like people to engage me with the word of God. All you want to do is talk to me about the word of God. When I start to bump against the word of God, I know I'm drifting towards the wrong path. I don't know if you're like that. I can tell you for me, if I start to skip days, I know something's wrong. And so he counters this list of negatives and says, listen, you want to get to a list of positives? Here's your list. Read your word. Psalms 119, verse number 103 will say this. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to sweeter than honey to my mouth. The writer in Psalms is pleading with us to develop an appetite for the word of God. Our problem is we can't develop an appetite for the word of God because we're too busy eating everything else. I don't know about you, but when I go to the store, there are times where I'm really hungry. I'm grocery shopping and. I'm walking down the aisles and what I'll typically do is I'll grab a bag of chips. I'll open them up in the middle of the store and I'll start eating as I'm walking. There was one time I went to Whole Foods. My wife and I went to Whole Foods and I was supposed to be making spaghetti that night. 
I was hungry, so I was picking up all this stuff, and I'm making spaghetti, so I'm supposed to be walking down the aisles that have ingredients for spaghettis, but I wandered on to the chips and cookie aisle. And when I wandered there, I, you know, Whole Foods has these, if y'all didn't have them, y'all need to get them. They got these sweet potato tortilla chips. They're amazing. I'm just telling you, God is all in the bag. Like he, it's a great bag of chips. They also have these, these, these cookies with, with some walnuts in them. So I, I'm, I'm walking down the aisle and I open up both of the bags and I'm just eating. And I'm still shopping. You know, I'm in the produce section. I'm grabbing stuff and I'm just eating. I get to the register and I realize I ate the whole bag of chips. And it wasn't a small bag. It was the family size bag. I ate the whole bag of chips. By the time I got home to cook the spaghetti, my appetite was already spoiled. I didn't even eat the spaghetti. I made it for the family and opted out. Why? Because I spoiled my appetite on chips and cookie. The problem in Christianity, most of you aren't spiritually growing because you're not eating off the word of God. You're not developing an appetite for the word of God. Your appetite, your diet is chips and cookies. And you cannot spiritually grow. You will be malnutrition and sick if all you do is eat chips and cookies. And so the text tells us, listen, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalms 119 tells us that the word of God is sweeter than honey. It's talking about our taste. Develop an appetite for the word of God. And so the text tells us, but his delight and his meditation is on the word. We've been going through the book of 1 Peter and so far. In the book of First Peter, he has, we're in chapter 3, and he has quoted the Old Testament at least five times. At least five times, and we're only in chapter 3. There's two more chapters to go, and he will still reach back to the Old Testament from the New Testament as he's writing this letter to these believers. What you'll notice is that Peter is the perfect prime example of someone who developed an appetite for the Word of God. When I was in Chicago yesterday, I, I, I did a, a, a breakout session at, at a conference called Legacy that was on, it was on um, preaching to millennials. And as I was working through what it means to preach to millennials, I got to Acts chapter 2, and I, I was talking to the room about being devoted to the word of God and how devoted Peter was. We get to Acts chapter 2, many know of it as the, as the passage on Pentecost and the disciples are in the upper room, the Holy Spirit falls and the people outside are saying, these men are drunk and Peter stands up, the Bible says, with the 11, excluding Judas, now Matthias is one of the 11. Peter stands up and Peter says, these men are drunk as ye suppose. Then Peter does something dope. Peter walks through three verses in the Old Testament, he quotes Joel 2, he quotes Psalm 16, and he quotes Psalm chapter 110. As he quotes them, he quotes, explains. He quotes, explains, quotes, and explains. Let me go to it real quick. Here's what happens after he devoted his life to the word of God. Here's what happened in chapter 2. It says in verse 37, and when they heard this, they were cut to their hearts. And Peter said, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brother, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Watch what happens in verse 41 and then we'll get back to Psalm. Again, develop an appetite for the word of God. Look at what it says in verse 41. So those who received the word were baptized and there were about 3000 souls that were added to the church. People were added to the church, not because of gimmicks. Not because of tricks. They were not added to the church because the church had a cool website and, and child care. They were added to the church because Peter was devoted to the word of God. 
what caused people's dead hearts to be made alive was the gospel preaching, not by osmosis, but rooted in the word of God. So the writer tells us today, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it and on his law, he meditates day and night. What the text gives us is, and I'm going to move out of verse two in a second. What the text shows us in verse two is devotion to the word of God is really twofold. It's delight and meditation. Let's start, first talk about delight. Notice the writer doesn't say he memorized the word. The writer doesn't say he had a small group about the word. He doesn't say that he memorized the Hebrew and the Greek. It just simply goes past that stuff and goes to the affections. Do you have delight for it? The question on the table, rhetorical question, do you have delight for the word of God? I'm not asking if you read it. I'm not asking if you memorize the scripture. Do you have enough affections and desires for the word of God that you can say, I delight in it? You know what we delight in? Our phones. Leave your phone home. You will be a mess all day. But we leave the word of God home. I know y'all like, I got my phone on my Bible, so whatever. Leave your word of God home. Leave the word of God home and we think nothing about it. But we feel lost when we don't have our phones. So where is our real delight? So the Bible tells us, listen, have delight in it. Here's what the Bible says about delight. Psalms 119 verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all the riches. Psalms 119.16, I will delight in your statues. I will not forget your word. Psalm 119.35, lead me in the path of your commandment, for I delight in it. I love this one. Psalm 119 verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Do you hear that? If your word has not been my delight, I would perish. How many of you in this room feel like if the word wasn't your delight that you would perish? Come on. The Bible tells us today, listen, have delight in the word. But it doesn't just say delight. It moves from delight to meditation. Meditation is a little bit more practical. Meditation means I get maximum nutrients out of it. I chew on the word all week long. Some of you, meditation means I don't go past a verse because I'm stuck in it all week. Some of you trying to polish off whole chapters. No, how about getting stuck in one verse that you can't get past? Really, meditation, that's why I love our small groups. Our small groups are not mini Bible studies where we're introducing something new. Our small group is digesting the word of God that was preached on Sunday. Meditation on the word. Meditation is, the, is a cow chewing on the cud. I don't know if you know that a cow has multiple stomachs. And when, it, when, when he chews on, on his food, he typically digests some of it, and the rest of it goes in what's called the first stomach. Now, this is going to sound disgusting, but a couple days later, he'll regurgitate it, chew on it some more, and swallow it. What he's doing is getting maximum nutrients out of the food. That is what meditation on the word of God is. Meditation on the word of God is I chew on it on Sunday, but I'm still thinking about it on Friday. I'm still walking through it on Friday. I'm still trying to apply it on Friday. Why? Because the text says delight in the word of God. Don't just delight. Meditate on the word of God. Many of us need to be like that cow that's chewing on the cud. Simply put, love your Bibles. Remember, the, 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 the sign that you're on the wrong path is when you're standing and you're walking and you're doing all these things in the way of sinners. The sign that you're on the right path is your devotion to the word of God. Love the word of God. Well, pastor, I don't understand the word. 
It's confusing, and I understand that. But that's why in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You need to be taught the word of God. You need to be taught it. And that's why we are so serious, not just about our time here, but we're serious about our fourth Wednesday night Bible studies. We're serious about your DNA groups because you guys should be engaging each other, teaching each other, sharpening each other in the word of God. Let's keep going. Verse number three. Watch this stability to those that are on the right path. He is like a tree that is planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Those that are on the right path, the text says is like a tree that's planted by the streams of water. And this this tree isn't secure because it's standing on its own and it's dependent. This tree is secure purely based on its location. Do you see that verse three says it's planted by the streams of water? It has a consistent supply of water for its roots. And a tree will only grow as healthy as its root system. I don't know if you guys know about the, the, roots, the, the root system of a palm tree. I don't know if you've ever seen those videos where hurricane, like hurricane five, category five hurricane is running through somewhere in the south and the palm trees are literally bending. You notice they're not, they're not coming out. They're just bending because the roots run deep. The thing about a palm tree is the roots run so deep even in dry areas like Florida, where there's a drought, the tree will continue to flourish because its roots won't stop, stop growing until it touches water. It just keeps spreading. It keeps going. That is what it's like when we are planted. But we don't have to try to find water. The text says, no, God plants you when you're on the right path and you're delighting and meditating in his word. He plants you next to the stream of water. We don't have to go find the water. God has already planted us next to the water. So the Bible says, you're like a tree. Here's security. And then it ends by saying, and all he does, he prospers. The writer is not pushing a prosperity theology. You know me. I've said it multiple times. I hate the prosperity gospel. This gospel that will suggest that God wants everybody healthy and God wants everybody wealthy. That is not what the writer is saying. But what he is teaching us is balance. Because most people that push against a prosperity theology most of us swing the pendulum too far to the other side, and we don't think that the promises of God are true. So, yes, there are some that take the word of God out of context and says God wants everybody blessed and he wants everybody healthy and he wants everybody rich. But then there are those of us that swing it so far that we say, but he doesn't he want he doesn't want us to prosper at all. The text is showing us here that those that are meditating on the word that are that are devoting themselves to the word, that are delighting in the word. The Bible says you're like a tree that's planted by the streams of water. All you do prospers. That's what the text is going gonna, is gonna to push to us. Now, verse number three showed us the right path. Now it's going to switch again, and it, the switch is abrupt. It's not even like a transition verse to get us to the wrong path. It goes from the right path in verse number three to the wrong path in verse number four. Look at verse number four. It says, the wicked are not so but are like chaffed that the wind drives away. The primary emphasis is on the believer in, in verse number four. We do not know the sin of the unbeliever. We do not know what his progression was. All we know is that those that are on the right path have stability and security. They can withstand a category five storm. In verse number four, the Bible says that the wicked are like chaffed that blows away in the wind, not a category five storm, a slight wind can blow chaff away. 
Now, I know you guys are farmers, and so you've probably have gone to a threshing floor and actually, you know, sifted some wheat. I know all of you have done that before. But sifting wheat is, is, is very foreign to us. Sifting wheat is literally when you take wheat and you cut out the grain and the heavy part, the wheat will fart, the grain will fall to the ground as you have this sifting pan and you sift the wheat falls to the ground. But the chaff, the outer shell, which is a thin shell, blows in the wind. The best way I can describe this, I have a peanut here. The best way I can describe this is by that outer shell that's on a peanut. You know that little piece, and it's, it got, it's full of nutrients, by the way. But you know that little, uh, that little ash, that little red piece. There it is. That little outside, the skin, the shell. That's the best way I can describe chaff. That's what chaff is. So consider what verse 3 said. Verse 3 says that those who delight and meditate on the word of God are stable, you're strong, you're planted by the water. You, if the category 5 hurricane hits, you'll be okay. But the Bible says the wicked are like chaff. Category 5 storm doesn't even have to push this. I can simply, that's chaff. And so those that are on the wrong path, I know y'all like, who's going to vacuum that up? I got it. I got it, Gabe. I'll take care of it. Miss Carol, I got it. I promise. That's chaffed. And so consider the contrast here. Those of us that are secure on the right path are secure. Those of us that are chaffed, we blow with every wind and doctrine. We just blow with the wind. Wherever the wind takes us, that's where we go. And before you think that that's not a bad thing, the text gets worse and worse in terms of being on the wrong path. The wrong path doesn't end well. The right path ends well. The wrong path is a dead end to the wrath of God. How do I, where am I getting that from? Look back at verse number five. Verse number five says, therefore, the wicked will not stand on the judgment, in the judgment nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. This is interesting because the psalmist started out in verse number one, telling us to temporarily separate from those that are on the wrong path. Verse number five says that one day God will eternally separate us from those that are on the wrong path. Do not think that being on the wrong path is okay. Like if you're in here and you're not a believer, thank you for coming. We are glad that you are here. We pray that you feel loved on, but we love you enough to warn you that the wrong path is destruction. We love you enough to tell you that heading down that path will not end well for you. The Bible just said that the wicked will not stand before the Lord. For some reason, we live this life as though we'll never stand before the Lord. We'll never have to account for the things that we have done and have not done. Let me put Bible there. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 10 says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. Listen to this, whether good or evil. In other words, all of us in this room, whether you've trusted Christ or not, every one of us will have to stand before the Lord one day. The, the security I have as a believer is I will not stand before the Lord and be worried. I'll stand before the Lord. I don't have to mumble a word. I can point to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has paid the sin, paid for the sin that now gives me access to God. I am deemed as holy. And so I, verse five does not hang over the believer's head. Verse five does hang over those that have not trusted in Jesus. It hangs over our head. Here's the reality. God will punish sin one day. 
He will punish sin. So the same punishment that we saw of Christ on the cross is the same punishment that will happen to those who do not trust in Jesus. I'm not trying to use scare tactics because scare tactics don't save you. Jesus saves you. And so what you need to move from the wrong path to the right one is Jesus. Like, it's, it's that simple. God punishes sin. Live thinking God punishes sin. Here's what Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 will say. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is he who hung on a tree. Christ took your beating. He took your bruising. He took your chastisement. The, the sin that you committed, he took it on the cross. Verse number five says, I can stand before the Lord, but the wicked, the Bible says the wicked will not stand before God on the day of judgment. God is holy. Did you hear the song we sang before I got up? We just simply said, holy, holy, holy. And for some reason, we don't think that God is holy. That's why I had to pray before we got in, because we sing that like, yeah, I'm just as holy as him. You remember Moses in Exodus chapter three? Moses is, Moses is caring for his, his uh, father-in-law's sheep. He's tending to the sheep of Jethro and he's walking around. And he walks up on a bush and the bush is burning, but not being consumed. What does God's audible voice say out of the bush? Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. In other words, feet were considered unclean in the Old Testament. Take those shoes off because I'm too holy for you to have those on. God is holy. So when you stand before the Lord, you need to have on the same holiness as he has on. And we get that in Jesus. We get that in Christ. Christ took your sin, but he also gave you his holiness. It's called the gospel message of Jesus Christ. When I was a young bachelor, I, you know, that, that's when cell phones first started to come out. And, you know, I had that big MCI cell phone that you feel like a laptop cover your whole face. You know, I had that big phone and I remember, you know, using the phone and, and getting bills. And I was like, what, what's this? this a, what's a bill? I don't even know what a bill is. And then finally figured out what a bill was. And I said, you know what? I have to pay this thing or this phone is going to get cut off. And I didn't have the money when it came time to pay the bill. I didn't have the money. So I did what everybody else does in here. I tried to cut a deal. I said, you know, if I pay half of it, you know, you keep it on for a couple more weeks. And I paid half of it late on the phone. I said, no problem. We'll keep it on for a couple more weeks. I paid half of it. The next day that phone was cut off. So what, what you get in the gospel is Jesus doesn't pay half the bill. You do not have to call MCI and say, how come you didn't pay the rest of the bill? Jesus paid the full bill for you. Every sin has been covered by Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that we hold to. So verse five says the wicked can't stand before him. But verse five also lets me know that I will have to stand before him. But cursed is he that hung on a tree. Jesus took my curse. And so I can stand before God with confidence. Let's finish this up. Land this plan in verse six. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the wicked will perish. Notice the two book end statements of Verse number one and verse number six. Verse number one started out by saying blessed. Verse number six ends by saying perish. Once again, this affirms that there's two paths. One is a blessed path and one ends in perishing. Which path are you on? Like considered this morning. Do not walk out and say, I'll figure it out one day. Figure it out today. Which path are you on? Now, it behooves us after talking about the wicked. And by the way, I told our church that comes to Bible study on fourth Wednesday night. I told them this, this theme that runs throughout chapters called the melodic line. 
Simple. Melodic line is when a word or a theme or a, a phrase is used over and over again in a text, the writer is trying to make a point. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a melodic line in chapter number one of Psalms. The melodic line is this, the wicked. It's, that's the theme of Psalm one. The reason that's the theme is because it's used four times already. It's used in verse number one. It's used in verse number four. It's used in verse number five. And it's used again in verse number six. And so the focus point of Psalm one is talking about the wicked, the ones that are on the wrong path. Let, it behooves us this morning to tell those that do not know Jesus how to move from being chaff to being what the text says, planted by streams of water. How to move from the wrong path to the right path. Simple. Jesus is how. Like, it's, I, I wish I had something deeper. I wish I could think of something more creative. But it's, that's it. Jesus is how you move from the wrong path to the right path. Jesus is also how you stay on the right path. Like, that's the beauty in, in, in the gospel. The beauty in the gospel isn't only that Christ saves us. The beauty in the gospel is that he keeps you saved. As trifling as you are, he keeps you saved. As, as messed up as we are, he keeps us saved. That is the beauty in the gospel. And so the Bible tells us, listen, the wicked are chaffed. You blow with the wind. But those that have trusted Jesus are on the right path. You're secure. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for every person in this room. I am not naive to think that everybody walked in here and knows you. Here's what I also know. That there are some people here that think they're on the right path. Or even worse, there are some people here, Lord, that know they're on the right path, but want to act like they're on the right one. Father, would you convict us today? Would you get at us today? We thank you that we do not have to perform and tap dance for you in order to get on the right path. We can fully trust in the work of the cross and be put onto the right path. Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for defining for us the two paths. We thank you for exposing to us that all of us in this room aren't on the right one. Some of us are on the wrong path. And Father, I pray that you would move on the hearts of those that are on the wrong path. Pray that you would put people around them opposite of what verse 1 says. That you would put them around godly people. Pray that they would hear the gospel over and over and over and over. Let, let them not be able to sleep without thinking about the, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let them not only hear the gospel on Sunday mornings, but let them hear it consistently. I pray for those of us that have trusted in Jesus, but are drifting towards the wrong path. And when I say that, I don't mean losing salvation. We can't lose it. You're, it's secure in you. But I'm talking about those of us that are dibble and dabbling. We live one way on Sunday, but on Friday and Saturday, ah, we got another life. Get at us, Lord. Help us to pursue you. Because you are holy, we pray that you would help us to move towards holiness. Father, I pray that those that don't know you will talk to somebody today that does, that does know you. And that they would take being on the wrong path as serious as the text presents it to us. The text shows us that it's not going to end well. Help them to see that and help them to trust in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.